Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discuss travel industry news that you want to talk about. Before we continue, just a bit of housekeeping. We do record the session uh, because we do make it available as a podcast, and we will tell you more about that after. And um, we do welcome audience participation. If you have a comment on any of the stories we are discussing, um, please raise your hand and we'll get you on stage. If you are from the press and you wish to quote what we say here today, please do, but just get somebody's permission if you want to quote anybody from the audience. So with that out of the way, my name is Rian, and I'm one of your hosts today. I'm the CEO of Agentivity, where we help travel management companies gain insight into and control of their businesses, as well as achieve scalable growth through the effective use of their data. I am Anne. Welcome, everybody. I work as an independent consultant in the travel industry, and I'm represented by the brands of LeapShift and Exploretech. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ash. I am the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where you can get all the important updates in business travel in under 15 minutes. You can access it by visiting businesstravel360.com or by searching Business Travel 360 on your favorite podcast player. Additionally, I'm the vice president of sales at Traxo, and this is Linking the Travel Industry. So first of all, thank you for those uh, familiar faces we see in the audience. Welcome back. It's so nice to see some regular faces and some new ones as well. So thank you for giving us your time. We really do appreciate it. And just a reminder, if we discuss anything that you want to participate or have a say on, just raise your hand and we'll get you on stage for that. The format of this discussion evolves around a post I do on a Friday where I've gathered some stories that uh, caught my eye and um, then we discuss them. And so the first item on my list there was about the computer glitch, which uh, caused a bit of havoc there on your side of the world, right, Ash? It sure did. Apparently, there was 10,000 flights uh, delayed, thousands of cancellations, and you know, yet another indication that we in the travel industry as a whole, in a much larger perspective, are falling behind as it relates to technology. At first, they were thinking that it's something to do with a malfunction. Uh, some people thought it was a cyber attack of some sort, but it turns out that it's just simply a corrupt data file. Yes, and more specifically, <laughs> apparently it was a corrupt uh, CSV file, the backup file was also corrupt. Um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, everybody's jumping on, even you are saying, yes, it's a reminder of how behind we are, but I say, you know, how many days have we had um, undisrupted delivery by that same technology that we don't necessarily talk That's about? That's true. So it works very well. And how long was the disruption for? A couple of hours? Four hours, but the ripple effects were already, it was too late by then. So apparently the pilots use a system called NOTAM, but essentially it allows them to know about any issues that might come up. So they actually can fly without that. But then as the day develops, you have so many planes in the air that you actually need it. And that's when the FAA said, enough's enough. We need to shut this thing down until we get it corrected. But that ripple effect was there for uh, the entire day and even into the following day. That is correct. But I, I did see a post uh, by somebody who's, it was, I think it was a pilot or somebody else who also then said, actually 99% of that information in OTEM is, is not really relevant or useful, but it's the 1% that you need to know about, that you want to know about, right? So it's, it is important. So and what did you make is. of that story? I've heard of NOTAM. Uh, it was interesting. Yes, of course, uh, it's very important, of course, for them to uh, I have a couple of friends who are pilots and um, they typically explain these things. And, and of course, it's good for them to, to receive the information that they need. So I can imagine the sort of chaos because it covers a very large area, of course. And you have to prioritize the, the planes who are, that are coming in, of course, to land. Yeah. Right. When, when a system malfunctions like that. What I was saying earlier about the technology failing and, and all that stuff, right? I mean, we actually are really behind on the upgrade to 
travel technology from a government perspective, the FAA and all our systems that are being used. Some of these technologies go back decades and decades and decades. Mm -hmm. So this is all about putting money in the right place. And this has been a struggle for the entire travel industry as a whole mm -hmm. to try to get enough money to upgrade these systems. Apparently, once this system is upgraded, I mean, it's like using DOS in the Windows world. <laughs> it just simply is really, really old. And yeah, can you use it? Of course you can. But is it ideal? No, it's not. So there's going to come a point where, and hopefully it's not because of something bad that has happened. It's because of the fact that we've done the right thing and we've moved forward. But this has been on the books for decades now, and it's just simply not getting there. Isn't it much about funding, right? I mean, the I, I constantly heard that when I lived in the U.S. about the allocation of funds to the FAA and how they are underfunded. But then, of course, again, so many of these institutions or uh, government entities are, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll take my Department of Motor Vehicles to be underfunded. I want my FAA to be fully funded. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes. No, I agree, Ash. There were two related stories that I obviously didn't post about because they, they happened after I did the post, but I thought we could mention them, right? So, Ash, I'm sure you saw this. There was this incident about a Delta Airlines flight and an American Airlines flight, which nearly collided. And it only was prevented because one of the pilots uh, visually saw the other aircraft on the runway and therefore took some preventative action. You, you saw that, Ash? Did you yeah, that was right at JFK. And this is uh, kind of the growing pains. I'm going to say growing because the industry went to a shutdown phase. And so you have a lot of pilots that are just not really that well in tune with their procedures. You have people up in the towers that are not so well versed anymore. There's these little glitches that are going to occur. These are the realities of getting an entire industry that was up and running and full steam mm -hmm. ahead versus an industry that had to stop, restart, and then you're going to start to see these little anomalies. Oh, you saw that one, Anne? Yes, I did. It's scary. I just got a point there. It is scary post-pandemic, isn't it? Yes. Another air story that was also happened, obviously, after I did post this, and just for us to say we think of everybody involved, is the terrible crash that happened in Nepal. Um, some horrific stories coming from that, and um, obviously we uh, we think of everybody involved uh, in that situation over there. <laughs> Moving on, uh, the next story, I talk about this as despite positive news in business travel because the rest of my post has got a few references to very good news about business travel booming. But despite that, I saw a post um, by the Business Travel News Europe where they said that in quarter four, uh, the hotel occupancy across Europe dropped down quite a bit. Now, Ash, did I see a post from you as well about numbers going down? Yeah, numbers are going down across the board. Uh, Hotel Hub, which is another company that measures these things, also indicated the same thing. And the Q4 definitely has slowed down tremendously. Um, of course, Q4 generally does slow down, but in this case, it's a lot more than previous times. Uh, it's not just the European markets, it's also the North American markets that are seeing this decrease. But isn't it just indicative of the end of the year type stuff, or is it out of the norm? If you want to be cups half uh, full, you say, yes, it has to do with that. If they think the cup's half empty, then you kind of are worried about mm. what might be the 2023 reality, which is that we might be getting into a little bit of the R word. And did you have any comments <laughs> or, or can I talk about my post talking about business travel is booming then, the positive side? What I'm wondering about, and Ash, you would, you would know this, I mean, so there hasn't been sort of a major shift towards Airbnb and that's something I always wonder about when it comes to hotels because, I mean, that's typically where I stay these days. I think the Airbnb, just to answer your question, I think that at least in North American market, it's definitely flatline, meaning that it is mm. what it is now, right? So that early energy uh, type thing is not really the reality anymore. Now, if you're going to go Airbnb, you're doing that anyway. And if you're not, you're not. 
another post that caught my eye was one from travel counselors. I mean, first of all, I saw people posting about the stocks of U.S. carriers, you know, airlines that are going through the roof. And American airlines already saying that they will outperform uh, pre-pandemic levels. But it was actually the post by travel counselors, the U.K.-based home network type uh, people who said that they have seen a, a really big increase, um, about 52% growth on pre-pandemic levels. So they're not just on par with, you know, pre-2019, they're actually grown, you know, into that. So is it just mixed signals from various parts? Because certainly I'm currently, you know, booking and uh, organizing travel and flights are full. You know, it's, it's pretty busy, but then they might have been very optimized, right? Where there might have been four flights from the airline that day. Today, there's only two or even one. It certainly sounds positive. And then we also see these posts about the numbers going down. So I'm not too sure what to make of that. IATA has a study that just came out where they talk about measurement of all global traffic, right? And we're talking about air traffic here. And they have this measurement, what they call RPKs. Apparently, it's called revenue passenger kilometers. It's about volume and distance flown, right? So this is some measurement IATA came up with. The important thing here is that they're saying that global passenger traffic has reached 75%. So we're really at the three-quarter mark of pre-pandemic. And so if you take that into account, obviously, demand is there. Supply is also probably a little bit below that. So yes, planes are full but we're not flying at full operational capacity either. And while you see these great numbers like travel counselors, 52% growth, all good stuff. So the indicators are all there, but I think there's a little bit of reality that's in there and we need to be able to decipher the difference and, and measure accordingly. A good old data to put some damper on the, on the spirit there, right, Anne? Now speaking as a private person, I spent Christmas and the holidays in Florence in Italy. I had sort of imagined that that would be low season. And the place was packed. I mean, it was literally as packed as I remember Venice in summer. I'm not kidding. There must have been 500,000 Asians. Add on top of that, at least three or 400,000 Americans in that city. There were no European tourists. Is it, is it that combination of hunger for travel, of wanting to spend, and also the fact that it hasn't been that cold either, right? I read the other day or over the weekend in Washington Post that Italy is the number one destination for Americans according to the post anyway. I was really surprised. Um, well, first of all, the number, because I mean, you know, China had not opened up over the holidays, right? And secondly, the, the lack of European tourists, which was really, I actually met a Finnish person who said, who approached me and said, I'm from Finland. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. And she obviously felt a bit lost, you know, in the, in the, in the hordes of tourists. Wow. So, yeah. Very interesting. You just mentioned it with China opening that some countries are now facing with the fact that, you know, China's opening up for travel, so they all want to travel and they have to do something about the COVID uh, situation there. Mm -hmm. And obviously, respond with saying, um, going back to insisting on proof of vaccination, proof of tests. It's a real conundrum for them because you can't deny those travelers, but you don't want to single them out. And you don't want to impose, you know, overly lavish uh, regulations once again. But did you see that post, Anne? I did. And yes, of course, it is a conundrum. I'm thinking, who is it the most dangerous for, really? Because I, I think it has a lot to do with the vaccination levels in China, right? Are the Chinese traveler more exposed than uh, the the countries where they, they actually visit? I would think so. Because, I mean, the countries that they visit have, have already gone through extensive grades of the pandemic. Look, sometimes you have to be practical, right? I know that we're a little bit heightened on not trying to single anybody out, but I think that if your country has been closed for a long time and now you're reopening, I think it's only natural that other countries would want to measure that accordingly and properly. And there's nothing wrong with asking for a test as we've all been doing that for the last couple of years ourselves. And so I think this fits into the right policies. No, I agree. I agree fully. 
Um, By the way, let's do some shout out for the audience. Uh, exactly. We got some wonderful people here and a lot of uh, repeaters. Uh, shout out to Kate. Kate, welcome. I think this is your first time here. So nice to have you here. I see Alex, Mohit, some of the other familiar faces here as well. Could have made a nice little joke there, uh, Ash, about whether it was the first or the second time. It's just numbers, right, with Kate. Yes, it's always <laughs> a nice one. Um, but yeah, it's very nice to see some familiar faces and some new ones and some people we know. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Related to the business travel is booming story, we are jumping around a bit, but um, I said that there is a post that caught my eye, which was about uh, with that boom comes some other problems, that the airport lounges, the business cars, the first class lounges are very, very full. And I've read several posts about this and people are really complaining about this. And Delta Airlines is taking some action here because they've now ruled out that the staff traveling on staff travel and even, um, I believe, you know, full fare type travel, they're not allowed to use the lounges anymore and not all of them are very happy about it. Did you see that story? I did. I didn't quite understand the big deal. I mean, why were they in the lounges in the first place is my first question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they, no, they really. Were, like, why they are they there? They're supposedly paying for, which which really caught my attention. Yeah. Now, they're paying for uh, an allow, you know, some sort of package to that allows them the lounge when they travel. That was really news to me because, I mean, the airlines that I have worked for have never allowed uh, lounge yep. access. Of course, if you're a fully paid passenger and, you know, restricting me as an airline employee, but paying a full fare, that is not fair. I should be able to become that private person, but... I've never been allowed um, lounge access on any staff tickets. So I'm sorry. So this is during their personal time? Both. Yeah, just to be correct, it's both. But it was what was interesting about Delta's approach is that they had a package for people on staff travel, and that included paying mm. for access to the lounge. Um, so it was part of the, the sort of remuneration deal, if you want. So a lot of them saying that's just been torn up and thrown out the window. And it was a very interesting take because, like Anne said, normally, you know, airline staff mm. won't be allowed near the lounge at all. And, and then, of course, you could argue and say that, airline staff should experience the full passenger experience yes. and i think there's nothing wrong with you know allowing airline staff for example a couple of you know maybe a few visits to the lounge annually or something like that or different you know programs for them to experience it but um have airline staff in the lounge must be mm. i mean I, I i really struggled before the before the pandemic because you know the lounge would be very full <laughs> I had a sort of tongue-in-cheek story, which was from uh, CNBC, which just talked about, you know, it just caught my eye about how much it costs to paint a plane. I mean, and I suspect you might have known, but Ash, do you have any idea that it costs around $200,000 to paint a plane? Is that the number, 200000 or do I have to guess? No, no, that is the number. I'm just giving it away. Oh, okay. That's nothing, $200,000? So the annual air paint plane business is worth around $18 billion a year, which was a wow. very interesting story. So yeah, oh, I thought wow. that was interesting. That was on my list, but... Um, there were two or three other stories which appeared on Friday, which is a bit unusual for news uh, in the travel industry to come out on a Friday, you know, or let me say relevant or, or good to talk about news. So I do want to add that. But before I do, any extra stories from yourself, Ash? Well, I want to introduce a new airline to you all if you haven't heard about it. This is called Fly 91, and it's a new low-cost airline in India that is named after the country's telephone code. That's why the 91 is there, if you mm -hmm. wonder what 91 stood for. A airline that's going to be based in the city of Goa. It's going to be the first airline in the southwestern coastal city. And the focus of this airline, by the way, is second and third tier cities in India, which all kind of feeds into the narrative of that India is growing and is booming, and it's a new market. 
market. And so there's a lot of stories coming out about it surpassing population-wise China even now. So we're going to see some uh, pretty amazing stuff happen there. But new airline just formed called Fly91. Very interesting. I've, I've got something related to India, if you don't mind me chipping in there, Ashanan, but um, I saw that Air India is starting to add Gatwick as one of its destinations in London. So we recently, I say recently, but it was obviously last year, we talked about um, the, the airlines moving some of their slots to Gatwick and uh, some airlines being unhappy with the pricing at Heathrow. But very interesting to see that Air India is going to add Gatwick as one of its uh, airports for London. Hopefully people use Gatwick more. Well, you know what it tells you, Ash, is that Campbell Wilson is listening to our session here in the That's right. So there you go. <laughs> That's and right. We talked about that. So there it is. India, of course, is an incredibly interesting market. Someone's telling me that it's 4% of the population in India that actually fly domestic. Um, the potential of this this market is the biggest in the world. There, there is no potential like this domestic market. And you said, like you said, Ash, I mean, it's the country with the largest population today. It surpassed China. So very, very interesting. There was another story that caught my eye, which I'm actually going to include in this week's news. So we might talk about it uh, next week, but it was just to mention it. So I'm sure you saw it. The, the Southwest uh, investors teaming up to sue Southwest for what they say was failure to disclose the dependency on point-to-point model. And so as a result, you know, of the recent failure they had, they've pretty much wiped $2 billion off their value and some of the shareholders are suing them for that. Did you see that? I didn't see that story, but I think it's mm. stupid. It, look, everybody knew Southwest was point to point, so I don't know what they're saying that they didn't know that. Yeah. They, they didn't do the homework. That's why they didn't know it. So maybe they should have uh, read more and and listened to our um, our shows, and they would have understood <laughs> that it's point to point, right? I mean, who doesn't know that? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Now, um, I have the audio ready, but Ash, do you have any news for higher stratosphere flying or not ready today? Yes, I do. Space News! There we go. What is your space news, uh, Ash? All right. I have two stories actually today, Uh and one of them is minor and one of them is major. So I'll start with the major one first. So Virgin Orbit... That was supposed to take off and be the first takeoff from the UK market did not deliver, which was really, really sad. And I was rooting for this thing, you know, because obviously anytime it doesn't happen, then all the naysayers come in and say, oh, this is focus, focus. And so I was uh, really sad that it didn't happen. But what they did was they changed all the top people in the organization. So the president uh, had to resign and now they have a new guy that's in there. So there was a lot of, you know, reshuffling of upper management as a result. Yeah, it probably, it probably was just one guy forgetting to tighten the specific screw there. Actually, it's, uh, they, they, well, yeah. They all say they've, they've learned from the lesson. They, they think they know what to do and they'll try again. Yeah. So, you know, this is uh, this is pretty big deal. And of course, it's important that Virgin Orbit um, go to orbit and mm-hmm. do its part. Um, so we're all hoping that that happens. But that was a sad situation in space news. And uh, the other story, which is minor, was that uh, yesterday we had a big uh, Falcon uh, heavy rocket takeoff for SpaceX, carrying all sorts of uh, wonderful uh, satellites and things like that. And this is significant because this is the first time this year that this instrument was used, which is not your typical SpaceX rocket, but a much larger one. And so this is all lining up towards the eventual goal of biggest rocket that's going to go up hopefully sometime this year. The rockets are being tested and the boosters are being tested. So that happened yesterday. So two really 
good stories this week for Space News. Just want to say to you guys, thank you very much. And for those of the audience, again, it's really nice that you are there and giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, everybody. Also, a shout out there too. It's good to see um, Evol there today um, and to see Mark. Nice of you to come back. And of course, Alex. Thank you, everybody. All right, everyone. If you enjoyed today's session, chances are that you know somebody who also will. So please tell everybody about this weekly session that we have. And we host this LinkedIn call every week on Monday. And it's all about linking the travel industry. If you cannot make it, because of time zone availability. We make the session available as a podcast on Business Travel 360. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off. 